Welcome to Fandom Power. Hey guys, it's uh, Wes, Andy, and Hank, and we are back again with another installment of Fandom Power Presents The Fan Batch. Today, it's uh, episode 8. We're 50% of the way through the series, and uh, oh my god, I have a lot to unpack this week. Oh boy, <laughs> that was crazy. And you know what? It makes sense. Well, like, exactly what I was saying last week. We wrapped up two major storylines, seven sixteenths through like that we were about to be hit over the head and and we weren't wrong. Yeah. No, no, we weren't wrong at all. This week it's uh, episode eight. It's called Reunion. This one debuted on Friday, June eighteenth in the year twenty twenty one. The runtime on this episode, it's twenty three minutes and three seconds without your credits, or if you prefer to stick around for the whole three more extra minutes. 2620 with the credits. This one is uh, written by Christian Taylor, and I made a point, I, I just made a note here, if you don't remember Christian Taylor, she came up uh, just a little while ago, this is the same writer that wrote the episode Cornered, which was the episode with Fennec Shand on Pantora, so that's important considering where we're going in this episode. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This one, again, is directed by Stuart Lee. And our episode synopsis this week reads as such. The Batch find themselves cornered on treacherous terrain. So, opening thoughts for me this week, guys. We get our answer to who hired Fennec Shand. So that's pretty cool. That's real cool. Good to know. We came up with a shortlist, and uh, it was on our shortlist. So, haha. We'll get to that reveal a little bit later on. The other thing is... You know, several weeks of, uh, and I don't know, maybe it's just a, the, you know, there's only so many ways you can say certain things. And, and I've been harping on this idea of contingency. Was I ever surprised to see in this episode that Prime Minister Lamassu himself uses the exact same phraseology when he says our contingency plan? But Absolutely. The question remains, what is the freaking contingency plan? Because I'm still not 100% sure on that. You know, the uh, yeah. there's one train of thought that says that uh, whatever this, this project is, this can possibly contingency is that, you know, there's a superior clone in development that will entice the Empire to continue using clones. But I'm still not convinced that the contingency somehow revolves around Omega being the ultimate sleeper agent. Well, yeah. Omega is the final, the end. That is, yeah, uh, the great, I think the, the, the translation all. of Omega. Yeah. Yeah. Every time I see Omega, I think of Darkseid and I think like Annihilation. <laughs> because of the Omega symbol on the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and perhaps the biggest surprise this week is the return of a major, major fan favorite Clone Wars character. And we're going to do a whole lot of breakdown on that when we get there. All right, but let's get I right into Corky. this. I love Corky. I love Corky. I'll say it right now. All right. Listen, if that guy, did he, he survived, didn't he? He totally did. He did he, survive. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised well, if we I mean, see he has him no, later on. He has no canon death anyway. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him in a future episode of The Mandalorian. It's possibly, yeah. I mean, you know what? I, I started thinking along those lines, and there's characters that we just have 
like they they show you for five seconds and my, they make my brain just like jason sindula i want jason sindula so bad i can't stand it no I, you know what i agree i think he's a great character that would uh man he would be a pretty awesome awesome character to see what he's doing as a as an older i mean you, know, you can't back to that sort of you can't the mother help. is the pilot the father is the jedi oh my god like, yeah <laughs> On some level, I can't help but think that it was Jason Sindula piloting the ghost in uh, The Rise of Skywalker. Exactly. You know, That's my headcanon. Yeah, that yeah, is yeah, my yeah. headcanon. Yeah. Uh, this week's episode opens with an exterior shot of the cloning facility on Kamino. We called it. We're going back to Kamino sooner or later, and it's this episode. I actually like... So I, I'm going to talk about pacing here, and I don't mean pacing within the episode because, by and large, that's been excellent. But there's not a lot of wait times between episodes like all these these ideas and theories that we've had they've been answered pretty quickly i feel like we're no it's true we're hitting them very very well with the exception of wrecker's uh brain meltdown because that spaced out over a good but that ha- i think that that it was something that had to build yeah, yeah for sure i thought personally i thought that would build way more too i did and i mean you i know, so, i thought yeah. I thought the potential for a character death in that episode was very real. Just like I think the I thought the potential for a character death in this episode Whoa. was very real. So yeah, and I think I, I think I mentioned last week that now that we got the unexpected resolution of the of the uh, the inhibitor chips, that yeah. we would immediately see crosshair. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I put down money on uh, the Empire, and sure enough. Oh, exactly. Technically, we've undersold what happens in this episode because they show up and it's like a <laughs> side note. You're going to hear me say yeah. a lot of things that I've already said before in previous episodes, and, I, and I'm going to harp on them for very good reasons because stuff's going to come up organically this episode. That is a is a surefire trigger for me on why why I really strongly feel that some of the things that I've theorized up until this point, I think, are going to see some fruition. Yeah, it's true. So this week's episode, uh, like I say, opens up, we're on Camino. Crosshair is interrupting a conversation between uh, Admiral Rampart and uh, Lama Sue. What's interesting is when the door opens, we can hear Rampart saying, from now on, I'm to be appraised of all matters here, Prime Minister. So I got a couple things going on in this one, and, and I'm going to put the question out to you guys, you guys here uh, on the show, and for those of you who are listening, what do you guys think is going on here? Because my first impression is Lama Su has done something and he, like a child, he's just got caught. The alternative is, is this just the empire, you know, exerting their influence? Like we're now taking more direct control of Camino. Yeah. I think the second one personally, yeah. uh, because the, the guild contacted the well let's contact the empire so that's right yeah they contacted the empire and then he's going you know probably going we're going to go get your clones now and you know maybe uh, maybe just telling her you know and 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 so we get he just walked into that scene and so now she's just reacting to having been told we're just gonna go kill them and yeah. i'm just telling you right and she maybe protested and that's suddenly we're on them mid sort of well you shouldn't kill the clones and you know so I think it's probably that it's the empire assuming complete control of the situation, and and she's been sniffing that out, or he's been sniffing that out for since. We've talked since before the- about Camino having this, you know, this relative autonomy that they were removed from the Jedi archive. Nobody knew how to get there, 
so you, you're kind of left to assume that they've operated, you know, anonymously or with, as I've said before, with impunity for how long? Like, we don't right. know how long. So now they're back on the galactic map, per se. The Empire knows how to get there. And that's a major asset to have in your back pocket is this cloning facility. Why, right. why wouldn't you? We're going to annex you. <laughs> yeah, it makes military sense. It totally it does. Strong yeah. military sense, especially if that's the seat of the beginning of your new military force. Like you're going to use the resources that are you're not yeah. going to just kill all the adult clones that are armored and ready for combat. You're going to use them till they're spent. And as we know from other Star Wars media that the end game is the, the ultimately is the cloning of, of Palpatine. But it's just interesting to see, even if it's just baby steps, the sort of the nuance and the thought process of how did we get there and how how early in his career as both a Sith Lord and as the uh, Emperor of the Galaxy, how early did he have the the presence of mind to to start enacting that plan that would lead to his return, you know, several decades later? Yeah, there's no actual explanation, but I believe that it just it goes back to that that's the secret that he learned from Plagius. If in fact he's not actually Plagius anyway. That's you know, still like, uh, that still weighs on my mind too. Mm -hmm. Like, is is it just another, is it just another manipulation? Is it a ruse? Has he been plagiarist right. all along? So what he says to Anakin in that scene is like that the the, yeah. the the Sith Lord could overcome death, but not, you know, that was the ruse that you could stop yeah. an external person from dying, and and almost like the inverse of a Force ghost. It's it's literally, Plagius could put his consciousness in other bodies. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah. the Emperor. And and that's yeah. So I, that, I have no doubt in my mind when we come. That's to, been cooking for a while. Speaking to that, where you know, and he says he's like, you know, it, it's a power that uh, he took to his grave. But together we could rediscover it. And I and I absolutely, you know what? Bullshit, man! You knew it all along, and you were dangling it like a carrot over Anakin's head. You knew all along. That's, right. That's all that. That's all that was. was yeah. Just yeah. To, that's the the sort of the through line to his absolutely. major weakness, right? And I mean, the goal of every Sith Lord is to be overthrown. I mean, you're either you're either powerful enough to to rule or you're not, right? And so, I mean, right. how crafty, how you know, like an Empire Strikes Back, Emperor says your faith in your friends is your weakness, and Luke retorts with, "And your you know your overconfidence is yours," and it's true. <laughs> Turned out to be true. It did turn out to be. True. All right. So Crosshair reports that the scrappers on Braca have reported a power surge on a Jedi cruiser. And when Rampart tells him to send a scout team, Crosshair says, oh, you're going to need more than that. It's uh, Clone Force 99. As he holds up this little holographic image of, uh, of Hunter, Lamassu, still trying to protect his interests, makes a play toward Rampart, insisting that Clone Force 99 is a valuable asset that should be returned alive. But Rampart has no interest in rogue clones, and he instructs Crosshair that if he finds them on Bracca, they should be terminated. Terminated. <laughs> no surprise. No surprise. Meanwhile, on Bracca, we get this cool little scene with uh, Wrecker, who's now teaching Omega about how to disarm explosives. And here she is again, picking up more training along the way. I found that to be pretty cool. Like, when we think about sort of her her development as a character over the last few episodes, they really are leaning into this idea of training 
that, yeah, she might have all of their genetic defects, but she doesn't have their skill sets. And so she still has a lot of learning to do. And that this scene just goes one more step toward reinforcing that idea. Yeah. Also, did you guys pick up? I mentioned last week she's wearing a bandolier now. She wore it through the That's whole right. episode this, this week. So if you, if you didn't pick it up last week, yeah, I still think that she's on her way to constructing her own suit of armor. What it looks Mega like in fan. the end. Maybe. After disassembling a thermal explosive, Wrecker insists on the importance of knowing how to disarm it should she ever trigger one. After Omega says, oh, it seems simple enough, Wrecker activates the device and tells her, okay, disarm it. Omega, having just watched the procedure a single time, struggles frantically to cut the correct wires, but she messes it up, causing the device to count down even faster. Just before it explodes, Wrecker tells her to take a run for it, but instead of an explosion, all that happens is a puff of smoke. Wrecker, laughing at Omega's expense, tells her that it's just a smoke bomb and that he wouldn't let her train on a live explosive. That's good, considering the experience that they just went through, because, uh, man, letting kids play with bombs? <laughs> yeah, that's serious. But you know what? I, I, I fully thought it was an actual explosive. because I did, too. You, you really do get the like that weird innocence that makes a kid light a firecracker when it's holding it in his hand and you know that suddenly your kid doesn't have a thumb that whole it's, fascination it comes from an honest place sure it's, does it's just a lack of sort of you know experience you remember the first you remember the first lack of a parent going put that friggin' thing down do you remember the first time you actually held a cigarette lighter in your hand and you just sat there and chick, 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 and just played with it and you're like just so mesmerized okay. by the flame for me, it was matches, same thing. Yeah, honestly. same. Like not not in any crazy obsessive way, but just going fire. Whoa. Yeah. Fire. Whoa. You know, like so. And we grew up like we were in the woods all the time. That's right. Stuff. Like we, you know, you oh yeah, we could have just burned down half the country. Also, <laughs> well, we had a strong group. We had a strong group of peers, so we kind of kept is true. each other safe too, right? Some as, kids are out there by themselves, as safe as we could, given our you know yeah. limited life experiences yeah to me it yeah, was sure. another one of those big brother moments though like i'm gonna play a trick on oh totally it totally was but i just love like again if each of the clones has sort of served uh the story you know in their own way but they've also each contributed to the the comedic beats of uh, what makes up the show and in this episode he's like I wouldn't let you. I wouldn't let you train on a live explosive. I'm not crazy. And as soon as he says crazy, he's like, uh huh. And all I could, all I could get was this. Uh, it was the same, you know, like on Pinky and the Brain when when uh, Pinky would like narf. No, it was the narf. exact same thing, right? He's like, I'm not crazy, but no, really, I am. <laughs> yeah. At the That's end, wicked. at the end of the lesson, Echo arrives. And after asking how things went, a dejected Omega tells him, I don't want to talk about it. Wrecker tells her it's okay because he failed his first disarming test, too. wonder and if that's where he got his facial scar. <laughs> <laughs> lost the eye? Yeah, yeah. Train him with a live one. And as the three clones head off back to the Jedi cruiser, a concealed scrapper guild patrol watches them from cover. So... So here they are go, uh, walking off, uh, heading back to the uh, the Venator-class Star Destroyer, which they just, you know, ubiquitously kind of refer to as a Jedi cruiser. And so that's what I'm pretty much calling it this episode. But their macro binoculars give them away as uh, there's a glint of light from the lenses. 
Having given away their position, Echo and Wrecker shake out into a loose assault. Sprinting ahead, they stun two of the guild members, but the third man escapes on a repulsor skiff. Wrecker attempts to pull the skiff down, but is instead dragged away. Echo and Omega report into Hunter that they've been spotted, and he orders Echo to keep eyes on. Meanwhile, still dangling from the skiff, Wrecker tries to pull himself up, but the guild pilot drops a bunch of cargo, shaking him off. But as he turns his attention back to the flight path, it's too late to avoid a stun blast from Echo, who's taken up a sniping position ahead of him. Back on the Jedi cruiser, the clones, carrying the three scrappers, have regrouped and are deciding what to do next. And it's the same location that uh, Hunter and Rex had their, uh, their little parting of ways. Minus all the fog, of course. Mm-hmm. Echo reminds Hunter that Rex had warned them about the Scrapper Guild and says that they should leave. But Hunter points out that they need money and there's a real opportunity in the cruiser because a significant portion of the arms haven't been offloaded. Hunter figures that just a few weapons should clear their debt with Sid. But Echo protests, saying that they're soldiers, not arms smugglers. Tech points out that the intel from the ship's central system would be worth significantly more than any weapon that they could recover. So I find this interesting because, do you guys remember last week I asked, I said, did you get the impression that uh, there was an opportunity for them to leave with Rex right in the moment? Mm-hmm. 100%. Apparently 100%. Echo thought the same way too. <laughs> well, yeah, he's, you know, Echo's got more in common with Rex. Like that's that's his people and the fact that he stayed yeah. when the rest of them left is kind of actually, you know, like, or it didn't stay, you know, I, he could have easily broken off at that point. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, he was sort of assigned there after, and then, you know, and that was to give us familiarity, to give us a I reason so. to care. Some connective tissue. Yeah. Until yeah. we started to get to know them. Now we care about them, but initially it was just like, okay, well, this is Echo's crew, I guess. I have a little bit of a different sort of theory on, uh, what that is and i think it just boils down to it's just some it's some personality things but they're both really good character development pieces and i'm going to talk about it a little bit later on because this whole i'm going to call it an ideological difference kind of rears its head one more time in the episode between those two leaving the scrappers to uh, sleep off their uh, stun blasts hunter orders tech to get to the bridge get the power back online and retrieve any intel that he can from the ship's central computer while he and the rest of the squad heads off into the artillery bay to recover what weapons that they can. And by the light of their flashlights, the clones force their way into the artillery bay. It isn't long before Omega discovers a crate filled with explosives and beckons Wrecker to check them out. But like a child with a short attention span, Wrecker is already off to the next shiny thing. A shiny thing that just happens to be a rack of proton torpedoes. <laughs> <laughs> Is that moment where, uh, you know, do um, you remember in Star Trek in uh, First Contact where uh, Picard and, and Data are standing in the missile silo and Picard puts his hand on the Phoenix warp ship and then uh, I think it's Deanna comes in and she's like, do, I, do you two need a minute? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's that same totally. kind of like, you know, moment where he's like, oh, and he's hugging the proton torpedo. Like, oh, this, this one's, one's mine. mine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. In a moment that's played for comedy, Omega asks Wrecker if he can teach her how to arm one of those, but he says, sorry, kid, this one's all mine. 
And just then, Tech radios in, calling Omega to the bridge because he needs help. Something. Plot this armor. is <laughs> yes and no. Uh, we just talked about the whole training thing, and as much as she is now starting to like, you know, she's getting training from each of them. It seems like with each episode, she is getting more and more responsibility, which just says to me yeah. that she's becoming more and more integrated with the squad. Certainly more capable too, right? Yeah, to the point where like, you know, Tech calling her saying, I need you on the bridge. Yeah, it's a simple task that he knows that she's capable of doing. And so, you know, why, you know, why not take her? If you took one of the other guys away, that's less arms that, that could be carried, right? Yeah. No, it's true. Noodle arms. Noodle arms. <laughs> yeah, but noodle arms seem to firm up this week. Mm-hmm. We'll talk yeah, about yeah, that a little bit later, say, too. Yeah. yeah. So Hunter and Echo uh, are pushing a crate of explosives along with a repulsor sled, and, and Hunter intones, with a hull like this, Sid will owe us for a change. But Echo retorts, if we'd left with Rex, we wouldn't owe Sid at all. And when Hunter says that he's on a different path, Echo shoots back, we're all soldiers. What other path is there? So, and this is what I was talking about earlier is that there's this, there's this philosophical difference between these two characters. And like I said, last week we actually talked about, was there an opportunity for them to, to have left with Rex? And, and I think Echo really is kind of questioning, should he have left? The other thing about this scene that I kind of, I kind of, I kind of <clears throat> I, I kinda clicked to was, did you hear sort of the elation like there's a lilt in Hunter's voice where he's excited about this big score, you know, like, hey, we're going to I don't know if it's just a simple we're going to get out of debt, but I can't help but wonder, is this we talked about morality and the idea that they have to make choices now. Is this an indication of Hunter is leaning into the mercenary lifestyle and might actually like it? I mean, it's in the name. It is. Uh-oh. Yeah, <laughs> he's. He's already half a bounty hunter, right? Yeah, like literally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not the hugest leap. Yeah. Um, you know, there is a different morality. Like, there's there's an aloofness to to tech. Yep. Um, we know Echo from before, and he seems to maintain most of his personality. And then Wrecker's too childlike, almost to you know he could be a sidekick maybe, but Hunter's definitely that you know if he were alone, left to his own device, right. you could see him sort of adapting, you know, adapting to that role. I think um, so. There is a thing, though, here in the, in these moments where we're soldiers, and it comes up a couple times in the episode. We're yep. soldiers. Yep. We're not this or that. And and while we're told that the chip in Echo was damaged during the accident, yeah, it's it's never implicit, and we never implicitly remove it. And That's true. There's a, a, a that that could be, you know, a neat friggin' twist. You don't want to absolutely, you know, that would come from left field if if he were to suddenly. Uh, I see that, you know, uh, you know his uh, his Lobot style uh, computer on his brain, and I can't help but maybe it's just me, maybe it's kind of plot armor. I just assume that that completely, for lack of a better word, I mean, for a period there, he was essentially lobotomized by that thing. Right. Right. You know, did the restoration like did that impact the functionality of the inhibitor chip? Does he does he still have an inhibitor chip? Like, do we know? It's not implicit. Well, they I think it's mentioned. Yeah, that it was damaged or it was rendered useless. Yeah, sure, sure. The accident, the you know, but I don't think it's implicit, and I don't think it's ever been like right. You know, 
misdirection is a thing, right? Like, oh, it totally like, is. Yeah, yeah. So, but, I mean, uh, and that that would hurt. That would hurt almost more than Wrecker. I think so. I, I yeah, I do. I think so as well. If that is a correct twist, though, yeah, uh, maybe that Hot Toys really was a spoiler. And that's the other yeah. thing I was thinking too. Is that something we want to talk about here? I don't know because I mean we're kind of. I don't want to talk about it's stuff out. that the general that the general public isn't interested in or maybe doesn't want to know because like that's pretty niche if you're going to read into that and connect it to it the actual is story. it is and how it's about, a, how about we do this? We know something you don't know, right? <laughs> it's out there to look at if you want to check out the Hot Toys toy. Yeah, but guys, let's keep it like an ace up our sleeves. Okay, for that's that's yeah. fine. Yeah. So yeah, uh, if you guys want to know what we're talking about, you can head on over to uh, the uh, sideshow.com and you can take a look at the uh, the uh, one sixth scale uh, Echo figure uh, if you want to kind of know where this character is going. And uh, it's not a huge, huge reveal, but it's enough to make you go, huh? Yeah, because it's nothing we've seen yet. No, it isn't. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So up on the bridge, Omega arrives to help Tech. And he's wedged under a computer console, and when she asks, how's it looking? Uh, he tells her they're in luck. The ship's data imprint hasn't been wiped, and he's now transferring the files, but he needs Omega to copy the master drive. Tech hands her a data rod and instructs her where to plug it in. Omega, staring at the bridge down the bow of the Star Destroyer, takes in the wreckage. The ship breaking yards uh, around her, and she asks Tech, what was the war like? And in the way that only Tech can answer her, he says, It was a primary mission objective comprised of battles on various fronts. Not exactly a personal recounting, but it's about as personal as you could expect from Tech. <laughs> Man, I was so in love with that opening scene in uh, Jedi Fallen Order. Like, the the whole idea of seeing all this, the, the ship-breaking yards and... This week we're treated to, and I keep going back to this because I just love this stuff, but we get treated to another image, this time what Omega is seeing. And I don't know if that's really clear to you guys, but like off in the distance, we now see like last week it was uh, it was uh, what? Luker Hulk uh, battleships and Venator right. destroyers. This week we can see the bow of the, the Venator that they're on, but we can see off in the distance a pair of acclimator class assault ships. And uh, it's cool if you if you're looking like it just looks like the the guild has just sort of popped up like infrastructure around them and just kind of like wherever the ship lands that's where we start breaking it down. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't look, it, it does look like it's maybe haphazard and they're just taking advantage. Of, it does, you know. And there's a there's a thing from I can't remember the novel. You have to forgive me, guys. But it's about after the Battle of Jakku. Okay. All the Imperial ships that are in orbit yeah, yeah, yeah. destroyed. They actually they drag them into low orbit and just let them crash burn, and burn up so in the this atmosphere. Is kind of what looks like that oh, on yeah. a gigantic scale. So there there is a propensity for the Empire to right, just right. drag ships into orbit and have them crash where they may. And so maybe that's what's happening here. I want to spend a minute on uh, acclimators because uh, you know, we've talked offline about numbers and stuff when it comes to star wars and even today we were talking about how our perceptions sometimes are a little bit skewed because the visuals don't necessarily match the numbers yeah so Anakin, when look we, at you yeah when we talk about the acclimator so we saw this first in attack of the clones and this is the ship that they loaded all the clones and all the hardware up and they went off to war 
let's talk about the Battle of Geonosis for a second. (laughs) (laughs) So how many acclimators do you think participated in the Battle of Geonosis? Oh, my. A couple. Oh, my. (laughs) I mean, I I guess I could do the math, but no, it hit me because I actually that's there's so many clones in that battle, but it's never really implicitly stated. And this is where I was thinking about our own show where we've been talking about like how many clones were there? How many clones are in the in the Grand Army of the Republic? And we don't really know. There were 12 acclimator class assault ships that deployed a total of 192,000 clones on Geonosis. Oh, so that source, that's awesome. That works out to be 16,000 clones per ship. Which in modern military terms means that each acclimator deploys one division by itself. <laughs> that's serious. That's really yeah, serious. Yeah, that's the canon entry right off of uh, Wikipedia for acclimator nice. assault ship. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. So yeah, 192,000 clones at Geonosis. And if you think that, uh, you know, other battles like uh, Kashyyyk and, uh, and Fallujah were of similar scale, man, that is an enormous amount of clones. And and you really from the from the animated series you understand that it, this is happening simultaneously on yeah. hundreds of worlds. So oh, it's big not time, like the yeah. same twelve ships are just you know on came fighting here and now let's move on to the next one. Right, it's right, everywhere. That's right, yeah. And they need the numbers to make that everywhere. Yeah, they do. So you're probably in the millions. At, at the very least, easily in the millions. And we see clones falling at the Battle of Geonosis, like you know. So that's the other side of it is that right. when you see. You know, the all you get the uh, the personal fights and the odd clone dies, and it's you know you tend to see in the a lot more droids getting blown up from yep. the personal side. You know, when we're doing character pieces, but right. when we pull back and you see those large battles, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of troops dropping on both sides. So at the same time, we're talking, you know, maybe a hundred and ninety thousand per battle per planet. We yeah. also have to recoup those troops, and so we're you can effectively maybe double those numbers. I, I would say and, so. I mean, it gets hashed. Like, yeah, we're talking there's... about a galaxy with millions and millions of clones, and that in itself could be a crazy way to explore the galaxies. Just like, you know, off on tangents with people that are so familiar and yet so different. You know, as... There's in, like an anthology novel needs to be written there. In In Canada, where we are, our military, when we deploy, we tend to deploy, you know, in that six-month sometimes a little bit longer, six to eight month, you know, would be the average length of a, of a rotation. But I know when, when I was overseas and we were working with the Americans, like the United States Army, they deploy for like a year at a time. But there, there is right. that sort of rotation schedule where like, yes, the clones are bred solely for war, but I mean, they can only be combat effective so, for so long before they, you have to give them a rest. So you have to have an equal number of troops to replace them with. Right, exactly. It's this enormous amount. And I don't think any of the visuals that we get of Camino, where we see the big, the basically the one large dome or a couple of lar- like domed buildings, doesn't really give us a true appreciation for like how elaborate that operation really is and just how, what they're chugging out. Because that's just right. one on the yeah, planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The entire operation is to save three Jedi. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I really. mean, that's a pretty big undertaking to rescue a couple. Well, just now let's just talk about that for a second, because how many Jedi were lost at the Battle of Geonosis? You're telling me it that you tell me that that uh, an ambassador and and two, uh, and two Jedi warranted like bringing everybody 
you know, thousands of Jedi. Ugh. Right. No, anyway. it, um, yeah, yeah. So back on Kamino, Prime Minister Lamassu has summoned Nala Say to tell her that the Empire's mission on Bracca poses a threat to their contingency plan. There it is again. <laughs> he tells her that he'll have to call on further assistance. And Nala Say asks, is that wise? Adding, we already have someone handling matters. But Lamassu replies that as long as one of these bounty hunters deliver the young clone intact, that is all that should concern us. All right, uh, kiddos, if you were, uh, if there was any doubt in your mind before, that's it on a nail. It is Prime Minister Lamassu who's hired Fennec Shand. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and plural. Oh, hunters. yeah, yeah, yeah. As plural. we are going to find out. Yeah, which, and, I mean, and it could be even further I mean, than what we so find we're gonna out. Get our, we're going to get our big one, but yeah. there's something happening in the comics right now, which is the War of the Bounty Hunters. And now while we're right, way right. in the future between between Empire and, and Return, and the, and the, the target is Han Solo, the yeah. theme is multiple bounty hunters often compete for high-value targets. And why so wouldn't while, they? And so I don't think that you've seen the last, and I think that there are a lot of other bounty hunters out there, and yeah. I think we might get into some kind of crazy Mexican. I do too. I think that there, you know, I think that this whole idea of we saw it in the Mandalorian, where we actually had a direct connection to the bounty hunter guild. We've talked about the Scrapper Guild. Uh, this whole idea of like criminal underworld has been sort of prevalent through both shows, and and as you've said, Hank, many times that. There's really, what other way can we go? It's into the underworld. It's how they're going to survive. Absolutely. Absolutely. I definitely see, I have some thoughts on how this is going to go, but I definitely agree that we are going to get way more bounty hunter action in the, in the course of the next eight episodes. Well, even in the Mandalorian, right? There was multiple bounty hunters going Absolutely, after Absolutely, they did, yeah. So it's not even like a foreign concept there. It's the joke, and it's send not... Send as many as you need to get the job done. It was funny for us as the viewers, but it's like when uh, when when Din Djarin is talking to uh, Grief Karga, it's like, how many have pucks? Well, they all do. <laughs> like, what? And you beat them all. That's right. I mean, yeah. How else do you get that crazy reputation? That's true. Unless there's competition. Otherwise, right, you right. Know, you you could be a low-key bounty hunter who just does skip tracing. I guess you know, so. I'm just paying my bills. <laughs> Easy targets. There's yeah. got to be a lazy bounty hunter out there somewhere. But again, you know, the the question of what the heck is the actual contingency? We're just, to me, that's a big, there's a big dangling thread that just, I, I need more there. I, I want more yeah. and I don't, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm putting too much into it, but I feel like there's more to this than, than what they're telling us. And, oh, and, no, and I think if be. you listen to our first episode, when we were talking about the fact that Omega may be force sensitive. And I think yeah. that that's maybe, yeah. I don't think that the emperor really understands that they've gone ahead and done this experiment. So maybe he's still searching for this in the ether. Oh yeah. The world yeah totally. worlds, if you will. Yeah. And they've hit the nail on the head, which is why they're trying to reacquire their asset. And you know, yeah, yeah. The, those two, those two things are coming to a head. So, their asset possibly being Force-sensitive like we've seen, and Palpatine looking for a way to have a Force-sensitive clone yep. to put his soul into. Yep. The, those two trajectories, they, they track for me. And they I, do, yeah. Uh, it's a, I think it's a pretty strong theory. Well, it's a definite trump card to have in their back pocket Yeah. with you know them saying, oh, you know, we're going to phase out the clones. Oh, wait, no, you're going to want to keep this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they may not even understand that that's you know, what he's looking for. Probably not at this point. Yeah. I mean, we're led to believe that the actual guy that organized the Grand Army of the Republic 
was Sifo-Dyas. Yeah. But it's never implicit that Duco hadn't killed Sifo-Dyas and been Sifo-Dyas the whole time yeah. and therefore was the guy that organ you know do you know what I mean? I yeah. just they, you they, know they leave that dangling. Hey, Dave Filoni, if you're listening right now, I just want to tell you, you need to go back and revisit Star Wars Bounty Hunter, the video game, because, oh, good game. you know, the there was such a nicely wrapped origin story of how Jango Fett was selected by Dooku, by the way, to be the template for the clone army. 100%. If the Disney era of Star Wars wants to continue mining the best parts of Legends, you can't not look at that game. Oh, yeah. And I don't think that I think that that with the release of the that gaming greats Django Fett, I, yeah, I don't yeah. think we're far off the mark there. No. Um, and we love the legacy stuff, and they they dip back into you know there's there's no reason Tamora Morrison couldn't play a little Django in a backstory. Absolutely. To, to give us some other you know so these are all de aging tech is only getting better with every production that uses it. So why not? That's crazy. Absolutely. I want to touch a little bit more on Nala Se because I don't know if you guys picked it up, but uh, her line. Let's go back here. Is it wise it. to put Is that it many wise? eyes on the target? So last week, Hank, you had talked about, you know, we talked about the, the, the plan, not knowing what the plan was. And you had said. You know, if Nala Say is is loyal to Omega, she could be an ally. But if she's loyal to the project, she could be an adversary. Perfect. I can't help but look at her hesitancy as being, you know, like, why is she hesitant? Does she at not want torn. Yeah, like does she not want Omega to be recovered and brought back? You know, that the, there's still that aspect of who was it that held the door back in episode one when they were escaping, or episode two when they were escaping? And, and yeah. that, I keep coming back to that in, in my head right. because she could certainly be loyal to the project, but have Omega's, you know, have that personal feeling for Omega trump that. Yeah. And, and to create some dynamic tension within the character. To me, it looks more and more like, you know, whatever her motivations are, a part of her is a part, is not in, invested in whatever the project is. And it brings back up the thing for me where, like, here's a race of cloners who themselves are, like, super, super genetically modified, you know. Is is this a little bit of the, uh, you know, mother-daughter thing? Like, is she really taking on that role of, like... A maternal instinct to keep yeah, her protected yes. at all costs. Is that what it is with her? It could be. Can we, can we definitively explicitly. say that? Yeah, I mean, they don't say it, but... Can we go that far? Like, w- would you go that far and say that that's what it is? I'd think so. Feel, I do. It feels it feels good in my belly, and we've seen Filoni likes that angle with with Frog Mom, right? That yeah, that, yeah. That you know, it does give you that that moms can lift a car. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that sort of stature to a mom. There's that you know that that ever protective. You know, and it takes the the traditional role of the woman, and it it amplifies it into the you know so. I absolutely believe that it could be that. I 100% believe that she's in it for the project, but that yeah. her personal feelings about Omega will trump that. Right. That's right. Yeah. Because from that conversation, though, like Lama Sue is still giving off the vibe. These are property. Get us back our asset. Yeah. And she's like, you know, yeah, okay, but safety should be priority. Yeah. I See, mean, at first, 
At first, in the first episode, they say that any of the group will do, but they've had Crosshair for a while. The whole and time. Clearly, he's... Yeah, and it's not... That's not their contingency plan. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. It's always been Omega. and Or, or in light of the situation, it now has to be Omega. Yeah, for, yeah, yeah. For, for Lamassu, anyway. So up on the bridge of the, uh, the Venator, a proximity alarm goes off, and... Uh... Omega's like, why is this bu- this red button flashing? And uh, Tech's like, oh, it's the it's the proximity alarm. It's probably you know it would go off you know when the when the ship's approaching, but it's probably a, a, you know a glitch. And like, that's no- sort of a weird leap for him to make, though. You know, when he's yeah. very very logical and very oh, oh, that's super right away. super precise. It yeah, it's, yeah, it's very weird that he plays that off, but it's minor. And literally, as the words fall off his lips, like three Omicron <laughs> shuttles <laughs> go whipping by. Landing a short distance away, Tech radios Hunter to tell them they have company, and when Hunter asks if it's more uh, scrappers, Tech grimly answers, uh, no, it's the Empire. So the Batch see that it's actually, it's Crosshair that's come after them, and even though Tech is now jamming their sensors, Hunter knows that it won't be enough to stop him. You get this awesome, awesome, I love this uh, this image of, of uh, Crosshair getting off the shuttle, and... Uh, clones in formation there with him i i did a count on this there's like 20 guys there with him Perfect. which is kind of important when when we come to a little bit later on in the episode about how those guys are are employed <laughs> yeah yeah and what it means some of them don't have a bright future ahead of them and there's something about their helmets and i i actually didn't i i, I thought about it and then i ran out of time but what w- was to pull up the this version of the clone helmet on yep. the, just I'm talking on the regs. Oh yeah. And which I think is different from the phase three clone helmets from the end of the clone wars and see exactly how close they are to the stormtrooper helmet. Cause I think we're getting more into that. We're more morphing towards, but then I started looking strongly at Hunter's helmet. Yeah. And Hunter's helmet seems to be the bridge between the clone helmet. And it kind of, yeah, helmet. it does kind of look like it's that. It's much more like the actual Imperial. Stormtrooper. I can't help but look at crosshair. The... Yeah. Oh yeah. I can't help but look at crosshairs, and I do with the sleeker wedge. I can't help but see the Death Trooper helmet in that now. I can't either. Yeah, can't it's either. it's hard for me to separate those two. His is the first helmet too. Even the even the other clones and the members of his his squad have like a a, a modest right, bridge. Right, right, yeah. He has the 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 uh, flat dome of the Imperial Trooper. Oh yeah. So knowing that they're being jammed, Crosshair orders one of the shuttles to go off in search of the Havoc Marauder, while he leads the rest on towards the Jedi cruiser. Meanwhile, the batch work quickly to move munitions from the uh, the munitions deck. They know that the that uh, Crosshair's troops are already on board and that they'll need to do a sweep of the ship. But by monitoring their communications, they should be able to avoid detection. At the same time, the previously dispatched contingent of Imperial troops report that they have found the Havoc Marauder, and there's no one. Yeah, no one on board. So Crosshair orders them to uh, secure the perimeter. Get a cool image here of. Uh, of a squad of uh, of clones kind of at the Havoc Marauder. What is it with people in, in Star Wars that don't lock their ships when they get out? It's like leaving your car unlocked. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's a thing. Okay. The other thing is don't have keys. <laughs> if you do a quick if you do a quick count here, uh you got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and then one in the door, you have at least nine troops here. Nine highly trained, bred for combat soldiers that are essentially guarding a car. <laughs> Should be yep. a pretty easy task. Should be. Should be. Should be. 
it's roughly half of the people you brought with you. Pretty so, much. So keep you, that you keep probably, that in mind. You know, Doug and Terry can handle this. Yeah, really. Back of the Jedi cruiser, the batch move about undetected while Tech tries to patch into Imperial communications. Narrowly avoiding an Imperial patrol, Tech intercepts an order from Crosshair, instructing his troops to push the batch towards the main hangar. So they decide to double back, deciding to cut through the artillery deck. The deck is in rough shape as light pours in from the ceiling that's been partially deconstructed. But the artillery pieces themselves are still intact, and the batch skulk between them. So there's a thing that's going on here, and Crosshair is playing them for a, like, a, like a fiddle. And they're just reacting the way Absolutely. that they normally react. Yep. And it's, you, it's a little bit like Crosshair has evolved tactically where they haven't yet. It's not hard to imagine that. I mean, we only got to spend four episodes with, with the batch. Well, five, really, before Crosshair turned, if we include the four episodes of The Clone Wars. But it's not hard to imagine that Crosshair was second in command. So, I mean, I, you know, I absolutely agree with that for sure. Not, yeah. If not like viewed himself as sharing command. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, And so, yeah, it's the fact that he's tactically one step ahead of them. And, and, and in, in fact, knows what moves and how the moves are going to be made that they, and so I find it a little strange that Hunter doesn't initially go, well, He's probably going to know what we're going to do. So we're going to do what he doesn't know we're going to do. Right, right. And so it was a little bit, you know, it, it, I, maybe it's due to the tampering. Had it have maybe been. He's, maybe he's been forced to evolve tactically combat wise. Maybe I, he's, I think had it have been anybody else leading uh, those Imperial troops, it, it would have worked. Yeah. But because it's Crosshair and because he, he operated with them, he tricks. knows their tactics. So, so of 100%, course. 100%. 100%. You know, uh, a throwaway line, uh, you know, with uh, with them sticking the Havoc Marauder on that bulk freighter. What? Oh, that that old trick? Like, it, it just speaks towards, you know, certain tactics, things that work. You stick with them. You know, why no. would, you, why would you change? Yeah, plan seven. Why would you change something that works? No, and 100%, 100%. so this just speaks to, oh, they've done this before. And and Crosshair knows they've done it before, so he's anticipated it. Which is why I think that Hunter might be on top of it. But it's still it's still awesome. It still goes very, very cool. Yeah. I think it leans into them still holding on to the hope that they can get him back. Like, Yep, I think there's a part it, of that, too. Looking at it from a perspective that, yeah, he knows all our tricks, but he's not going to go for the throat. Yeah. When, in fact, no, right for the throat. Yeah, and I mean, there, that's going to come up here shortly. And I'm, I'm again, like I said, I'm gonna, you're gonna hear me. I'm gonna sound like a broken record this week because I keep going back to the things that have already triggered me up till now, and I'm still in that headspace. He's not coming back. No. <laughs> I loved seeing. The, I know it's dark and it's hard to see, but I loved seeing the the artillery deck again, which we really haven't seen really since Attack of the Clones, or sorry, Revenge of the Sith. That big, right. that big battle over Coruscant. And uh, I just love the idea. It's like, you know, these old wooden sailing vessels with their cannons, you know, pointed out the portholes. And I just love that, that grand naval sort of uh, look to it. It's awesome. So peering out one of the blaster ports, Wrecker, uh, Wrecker's fear of heights overcomes him once again. And just as he explains that he's not going out that way. Crosshair and his troops pour in, cutting them off from both sides. Crosshair exclaims that monitoring their communications was predictable. While Wrecker retorts, nice to see you too, Crosshair. At the same time, Tech instructs Echo to scomp into one of the cannons 
and reroute reserve power to it. Echo says that if one of the cannons were to fire, the entire deck would collapse, and Tech simply replies, Exactly. <laughs> uh, I just, how can you not appreciate his, like, bluntness? <laughs> <laughs> Crosshair then derides his clone brother, saying, Look at you all scavenging like rats. How pathetic. And when Hunter asks him why he came after them, he simply answers, You're traitors. And signals his troops to fan out. And as the Imperial troops move to surround the batch, Tech is able to use his data pad and to push one of the artillery pieces towards overload. Hunter tries pleading with Crosshair, telling him that uh, he's being controlled. Omega steps forward to tell him it's true, and he mentions the, the inhibitor chips. Omega beckons him to remember what she told him back in the brig on Camino. You can't help it. Look at Omega, you know, sticking her neck out like that, trying to appeal to whatever sense of, Whatever's you know, left what's, yeah, what's left. And this is the moment where I've said, I've been saying it for weeks that even if if Crosshair's inhibitor chip is removed, the the morality that each of these characters has had to explore for themselves, his mind is made up, and uh, he confirms it for me in in sort of the next line. Crosshair is so far gone that he orders his troops, and the line is aim for the kid. That's right. You know, Order sixty six. The whole anybody who disobeyed Order sixty six was branded a traitor. Omega was never subjected to Order 66. She is a child. And even if she is a traitor, you know, I don't know how it works in the Star Wars universe, but like child soldiers are still considered children. And, and you know, ideally you want to rehabilitate them, not murder them. That's right. So, I mean, like murdering children seems just a little bit far gone for me, even for someone whose programming has been pushed to the limit. I, I sincerely believe this is who Crosshair really is. I look at it like this. Omega is the throat, and he went right for Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Like he sees oh, Hunter yeah. ready to die for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, fine. I'll go right for that target and make you watch. Pain and suffering, Yeah. to put Agreed. it in Star Wars terms, I guess. This episode of Fandom Power is brought to you in part by CollectorsPlatoon.ca. CollectorsPlatoon.ca, organizers of the annual Toronto Collectors Platoon Toy Show. Check out CollectorsPlatoon.ca the Canadian home of Ian's Display Accessories, specializing in action figure stands for figures of all scales. Visit collectorsplatoon.ca today. Hunter immediately places himself between Omega and uh, Crosshair, shouting at him, your issue's with me, not her. And as Crosshair says, I suggest you drop your weapon. Tech triggers the overloaded cannon to fire. The blast throws everyone off balance and the clones make a run for it, taking out a few Imperial troops along the way. And as the battle rages, even Omega is able to neutralize a couple of troops with her bow. Yeah. Good for her. And she nails them like straight oh, up, yeah. bull, straight up bullseye. Like there's no question like Trains done. pan off. Big time. More importantly, the triggering of the, of the blaster artillery has had the exact intended effect as the ceiling now begins to collapse. Wrecker throws, literally throws a pair of troops out the gun port. We get a variation of the Wilhelm <laughs> as the guy goes out. Then he picks up the crate of explosives and his beloved proton torpedo and makes his way to the exit. While the rest of the batch follow him, they're cut off by a flame trooper blocking their escape with a gout of fire. So it took me a while. I, I didn't catch it until subsequent rewatches. 
uh, there's a mix of troops here. So there are like a handful of, of Crosshair's elites with him, uh, yes. as well as a bunch of regs. They have and, speaking uh, lines when they first step off the shuttle. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually think that this flame trooper might actually be one of the elites. I do too. I can see the green tint. The green visor, yeah. yeah. I, I, I agree. I, I thought that too. Especially uh, in the next scene when he gets... Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Wrecker, determined to clear the path, hurls the proton torpedo at the trooper, striking him in the chest. And with the doorway cleared, Wrecker triumphantly exclaims, Direct hit! <laughs> <laughs> and the so, batch move off away from the artillery deck. This, though, is a good point, though, because he said, I'm not going to teach you how to arm this one. That's this true. one's mine. Yeah. Because if that thing was armed... Oh. <laughs> Proton <laughs> torpedo goes off inside of a Star Wars ship. Uh-huh. We all know what happens. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh. It only took one to take down the Death Star. <laughs> Two of them to take out the second Death Star. It's true. Oh, wait. No, it was a proton torpedo and what? Concussion missiles? Maybe. Whatever. From an X-Wing? Yeah. Concussion yeah. missiles from X-Wing. All right. Sometime later, the clones make their way into one of the ship's ion engine chambers. The engine is dormant, and when Wrecker questions why they came here, Tech tells him because it's our alternate route of egress. Meanwhile, Crosshair and what's left of his troops pick themselves up from the debris of the collapsed ceiling back on the artillery deck. Asking for a status report, his troops report that there's no sign of them, so he orders a shuttle to pick him up. But just before he boards the shuttle, he orders one of his troops to go to the bridge and wait for his command. Now, emerging from the ion engine chamber into the thrust nozzle, the clones can see the light of the night sky. It's my favorite line of the episode coming up. Which one is that? When Wrecker tells, when she, when Omega exclaims, I've never been inside an ion engine before. Yeah, yeah. Wrecker says, It'd be weirder if you did. That's <laughs> so true. A great line. Or had. Would be weirder if you had, yeah. I got a uh I got a uh, a Force Awakens vibe in this sort of moment. Kind a of little bit, eh? running through the ship like that. Kind of Ray scavenging through uh, you know, the Star Destroyer. Discard. The Millennium Falcon flying through the the engines of a super star destroyer. Which I thought was pretty cool. Crazy cool. Alright. So and just as Tech is about to emerge from the nozzle, he's narrowly missed by a blaster bolt from Crosshair's sniper rifle. And he taunts them, yelling at Hunter, Try again! I told you, you're surrounded! At the same time, one of the shuttles, full of troops, has arrived to support Crosshair. And Hunter makes the decision to double back down the ion engine chamber. The clones pause almost immediately at the growing sound of a whining turbine. The reality sinks in that when Tech restored the ship's main power, it meant that the engines could, in fact, be activated. And that's exactly what's happening as we see one of the engines start to warm up. There was one other line here, though, uh, as they're going through the first time. And they're hopping over stuff. And Tech is like, you know, it's comprised of this, and it's like heat Oh, right, right. The shielding on this could resist. Who cares? (laughs) I thought that was going to play in more, but uh, yeah. Wrecker's like, no, nobody cares. Just keep going. With nowhere for his opposition to run, Crosshair leisurely aims his rifle while the Batch frantically try to come up with a plan. Wrecker suggests something called Plan 7, but is quickly shot (laughs) down as Plan 7 apparently has nothing to do with the situation that they're in. Turning their attention towards the explosives at hand, they realize they don't have enough to affect the engine's thermal chamber. But if they strategically plant them around the perimeter of the thrust nozzle, they may be able to cause it to break away and fall and with the understanding that the alternative is complete incineration, they set about to plant the explosives. 
As Crosshair continues scanning for targets, his agent on the bridge reports that the engine is ready, and Crosshair callously gives the order to engage. This crazy blast of, uh, of ion and plasma or whatever it is in the Star Wars universe that makes ships fly, but we know it's bad if you're standing in there. <laughs> but before the thrust can engulf the entire nozzle, Wrecker triggers the explosives, and it begins to separate from the ship. This cool kind of like, you know when they uh, when a building gets demoed? Yes. And you get that... As the charges go off, it was just like that. I thought it was really, really cool. This, these scenes and the sound effects, especially. Yeah, uh, big time. This is the biggest we've seen a show like Star Wars B. Like yeah. the scale of that oh, was yeah. so perfectly done. It reminded me of the of the of the uh, crate dragon scene. Oh, big time! Yeah, scale, yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? Like we we're actually getting. You know, it's easy to see a little spire topple and give it you know but to give the way it's it's so hard to make that thing look as big as it is if you drew it it uh, you think about sure i'm trying to say but the the weight that it had the way that that those seat that was a huge seat you had to be a kilometer away from that right, thing right. with your camera to be able to see that from that perspective it, what a great scene you think about the majority of times that we see a star destroyer it's in space and so it's it, our There's our sense of scale, scale our sense of scale right. is like capital ship to capital ship maybe star fighters kind of darting in and around but when you take right. when you take an infinitesimal you know uh person and stick them inside the 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 thrust the cone of an of a starship's engine and you're like oh man this thing is mm-hmm. huge huge with the nozzle now falling away from the ship the vector of the ion thrust is redirected as most of Crosshair's troops are thrown from their footing while he himself is horrifically burned. Oh, nice. Oh, flavors of Anakin Skywalker. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say to myself, oh, you deserve this. <laughs> yeah, no. And I, I, I had messaged to Andy, every, every villain needs a good facial scar. Yeah, well, he's definitely got it now, that's for sure. Uh, He's horrifically burned. Now, as the thrust nozzle falls to the ground, the batch are tossed around inside the giant cylinder. When it finally comes to rest, uh, Hunter and Omega have been separated from Echo, Wrecker, and Tech. Crosshair, uh, having taken cover behind a piece of scrap, is able to order the engine to be shut down before he then collapses from his injuries. Echo radios Hunter, telling him they landed on the port side of the ship, and he asks for uh, Hunter's status. And he replies that they've landed near the engine, and uh, they have company as one of the Imperial shuttles passes overhead, strafing them. Hunter orders them to meet back at the Havoc Marauder, and while the Imperial shuttle pulls up on Crosshair's position, and a squad of clones rush out to aid their injured commander. Severely wounded, but still conscious, Crosshair tells his troops the Batch is heading to their ship, Still a step ahead of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's still a step ahead. The guy's like, in my mind, he's like near death. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're you're swirling the drain here, dude, and you're still able to get back up. Driven by hate. I I guess. Having played many Star Wars video games, I have never survived an encounter with an ion engine. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Never met an engine that, uh, you know, didn't incinerate me. Funny, too, how quick we go back to uh, with them strafing them. Yeah. It's like, okay, that's the Empire bad again. Yeah, oh, yeah. Whereas in The Mandalorian, when it happened, they managed oh, to I get know, us with that, the, you know, with the TIE the Fighters. Side. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. It's like, context is everything. 
Yeah, severely wounded but still conscious, Crosshair tells his troops that the Batch is heading back to their ship. And when the trooper tries to reach his comrades who are supposed to be guarding the ship, his calls go unanswered. When the message comes in to CT-8508's <laughs> lifeless body, uh, we see that he, in fact, is dead, as are the rest of his squad. We get this uh, cool, like, I don't even know how, the, like this panning shot where the camera, it cut, you can hear him calling, you know, CT-8508, CT-8508. And as the camera transitions to, you know, vertical to horizontal, it's like, oh, he's not standing. Oh, he's, oh, he's, he's quite dead. So remember when we talked about how many troops were guarding the Havoc Marauder? At least nine. At least nine troops. And nobody is answering. Ugh. Hunter and Omega uh, arrive and they begin to investigate the scene. Hunter quickly ascertains that the death of the troopers was not the work of the scrappers. So they take a look at the body. Of course, here, they've just been alerted to something. When a gravelly voice says, Wasn't much work. They look up to see a figure standing in the door of the Havoc Marauder. His features are concealed by a low-slung cowboy hat. Oh, and you can't tell me that when you were watching this, you didn't just kind of, I don't know, squeal like a schoolgirl. Yeah, <laughs> I, did, I, did. I know I, I did. I, uh, I hit a register. I didn't know I could hit. I was watching it uh, in the morning and, and uh, Kim was still uh, was still sleeping. And, and uh, I'm sure I did the whole yes and then realized how loud I was and <laughs> quickly shut up. Yeah. Yeah. The figure uh, the figure casually strides down the boarding ramp to face off with Hunter, followed by his droid companion. Well, boys and girls, it is in fact Cad Bane, and his droid companion, Toto360, is with him. Cad Bane and Toto360, whom we haven't seen for some time. And with an aloofness in his voice, Bane exclaims, I've taken down so many clones over the years. Once you figure one out, the rest are easy. As the two men face off, Hunter says, you're in for a surprise. But Cad Bane dismisses him with a simple, I doubt that. With the realization that it's another bounty hunter, surely after Omega, Hunter asks, who hired you? But Cad Bane tells him, it's confidential, and demands that Hunter hands over the girl. But Hunter tells him, she's not going anywhere, to which Cad Bane replies, that's unfortunate for you. He then strides forward, fingers tapping the holster on his right hip. Hunter responds in kind. It's clear the two men are about to have a pistol duel. It's Bounty Hunter versus Enhanced Genetically Defective Clone. And for a moment, it's unsure who will prevail. And it is, in fact, go time. But even Hunter, with his enhanced traits, isn't fast enough to beat Cad Bane to the draw, and he takes it squarely in the chest. Oh, and it's so tragic. And I have to say, when I saw the smoking hole in his chest, I thought, he's dead. <laughs> he's dead. He's gone. We've just lost one of our main characters. I have to say, as soon as I saw Cad Bane and him square off, yep. I thought he was dead. Oh, now, before they even drew. Yeah, I mean, the lines he's delivering. Oh, my God, yeah. This might not be evident to everybody who, who doesn't know the character like this, but, but there was never a shadow of a doubt in my mind that that's how that duel was going to go. Right. This is the man that, that subdued Anakin Skywalker. That's right. This is the man that stood toe-to-toe with Obi-Wan Kenobi on several occasions and once while he was paired with Quinlan Voss. Yep. This guy is all about taking out Jedi, and an enhanced clone is just another day at the office. Big time. 
Hunter's uh, shot does go off and uh, it goes wide, <laughs> but it, it's still kind of funny because uh, he actually nails Toto <laughs> and actually severs one of his little thruster legs. And he actually says something about, oh, oh, my leg or uh, he's, he, he makes some. Yeah, my thruster. Would have been but funny man. if he said my leg. Then it's a SpongeBob reference. My leg! <laughs> you know, big time. So let's let's go back to uh, Cad Bane because this is per- this is the biggest 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 reveal of the episode, if not the show up to this point, really. Yeah, that's when I said you know the Empire was the throwaway piece, and yeah, here so we go. Here's here's Cad Bane, and let's let's go back and just for people who are coming to Star Wars now, as you said, Hank, he's been up against uh, multiple Jedi. He's gone on several uh, several uh, bounty hunt uh, contracts and. Uh, just remind everybody sort of the, the types of people that he's worked for. Okay, well, so going back to pre-Phantom Menace, he, he was hired by Darth Maul as, a, as like the Sith apprentice, like early in, I guess if it's, you're a Sith Padawan, early yeah. in his career, they were trying to steal another Jedi Padawan to impress Palpatine. Uh, that, that was Maul's motivation. Right, right. And, and, and they work with the, I can't remember, it's uh, Aura Singh and then the, the other Trandoshan from the Clone Wars episodes. I can't recall his name. It wasn't Bosk? They, you know, was it not Bosk? It was not Bosk. It was a different Trandoshan. Okay, they, sure. Like, he was in those episodes, certainly, but there was a different, uh, larger Trandoshan yeah, than yeah, Bosk. Okay. That was, um, that's the guy who was in those comics with him. And then, I mean, it's a, it, I'm not going to get into the heavy details, but he was, his 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 his, his first introduction is as like a working side by side with Maul on like as a peer. Yeah. Yeah. Of, of, of a Sith apprentice. And then um, we, we move into the fact that in his backstory that he was actually trained by Django Fett. Yeah. Like he was Django Fett's bounty hunt. You know, you get this apprentice master thing. Sure. Sure. And then he is instrumental in training Boba. And it, and the way he viewed it, the character viewed that was paying a debt back. Right. To Django. Right. 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 Now he's almost exclusively employed by the separatists. Like like Dooku uses him numerous occasions, and Palpatine uses him numerous occasions right. in the shadows. That's uh, you know under the guise of Sidious through Dooku. Yeah. But but missions like you know not just like go track down this or go find me that. It's break into the Jedi Temple and steal yeah, an artifact. Steal, that steal is a the, holocron. The record with of the every force sensitive child. Being yeah. Yeah. In yeah. the galaxy. Yeah. Madness. That's, you know, he's hired by Jabba to to break into an, uh, a Republic prison and rescue his uncle. That's right. Like, these yeah. are not like he's he's the preeminent bounty hunter after Jango Fett dies. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And and the fact that uh, you know this is huge. This is so big. So I want to. It's very very big. I want to spend some time on that because I know after yesterday after we watched the show, I and I messaged both of you frantically, and and I I said to you, Hank, I said. Do all you know? Do all roads in modern Star Wars television lead to Boba Fett? Because for those of you who don't know, there's a. Oh, this is about Cad Bane. It's not about Boba Fett, but it's ostensibly going to turn turn around and be about Boba Fett. The road to Boba. Right. So Mandalorian led to uh, led to book of Boba Fett. Right. We've got that. Correct. There's a, there's some subtle nuance, and there there's more connective tissue in only the way that Star Wars can do that connects Cad Bane to, to Boba Fett. And I want to talk about that a little bit because this is cool. So if you're coming to Star Wars now and you're completely ignorant of this character, you, do, you need to go back and you need to watch the few episodes with Cad Bane. The last time we saw Cad Bane was back in uh, Clone Wars 
season four, episode eighteen. That one was called Crisis on Naboo. So this is the this is the arc where they actually tried. This is their first attempt to abduct the Supreme Chancellor. That's right. And it doesn't. It it's it's not successful. So we got to think about that. There's one point there that's super important. Yeah. That that was Palpatine's choice yeah. to abduct himself. Yeah. For the to to move this forward years, well, at least a year before <laughs> yeah, it actually exactly. went off. The actual but he was his choice, but before Grievous, he was oh, his yeah. choice before Grievous even to pull this mission off. So at the end of that arc, like there's a there's a bunch of clones that are involved. Or not clones. There's a bunch of other. He's not alone. There are other bounty hunters involved in this. There's a guy by the name of uh, Embo. He's my favorite visual bounty hunter. Yeah, yeah, he's pretty cool. He's got like the Star Wars version of the big wide brimmed rice hat, kind of like Raiden. Yeah. But Embo in this in this arc is actually uh, a disguised General Kenobi, which is kind of cool. But there's some other bounty hunters in here too, and there's a, there's a guy by the name of Rocco Hardeen. And Rocco Hardeen is a very interesting character because if you are familiar with concept art surrounding the you know early Star Wars, and we know that particularly with Star Wars Rebels where they leaned into the concept art heavily for a lot of the designs, the Ralph McQuarrie designs. Rocco Hardeen's armor is the proto is the proto Boba Fett armor before he evolved into the character that we now know and love today. Yes. At the end of that four episode arc, it's kind of left up to like, is Cad Bane actually dead? And you don't really know, but Anakin Skywalker kind of senses that he's still alive. And we know from that episode arc that, and here's the nuance, right? The nuance is that Cad Bane actually makes his escape dressed in the armor of Racco Hardeen. So he's really, he's dressed up as Boba Fett, right? So when you, when you add that into that whole, like, you know, trained by Django, returning the favor, it's heavily suggestive that we are going to get back to Boba Fett here somehow. Well, let's fast forward it a little bit and let's go up. Let's, let's launch into what happened in 2017. Clone Wars got canceled after season five. Star Wars Rebels came out. We're now into the Disney era of Star Wars. Celebration, uh, the annual Star Wars convention goes off. And in a panel, in a Star Wars Rebels panel, Dave Filoni reveals a pre-visualization sequence from an abandoned storyline with Cad Bane and, and Boba Fett. The thing never gets finished. It goes as far as previs. You can find all the footage. It's out there on YouTube. But essentially, what happens in this is Cad Bane puts together a crew, a bounty hunter crew. And of course, Embo is back as part of that crew, but also Bosk. And now they've, he's kind of the, the gang boss. Uh, Cad Bane is for that, uh, the, for that matter. And something happens between Cad Bane and Boba Fett where Boba Fett has decided that he is now going to assert control and he's going to take over this, this crew, which brings us back to a very, very similar scene like we just saw in this episode with uh, Hunter and Cad Bane sort of squared off. And I'm like, oh my God, where have we seen that before? Which takes us back to this pre-visualization where, in fact, we have this young Boba Fett squared off against Cad Bane. And in this pre-visualization sequence, the two actually shoot each other very much the same way, Western-style, you know, shootout. They shoot each other in the head. And had this have gone ahead and had been had been fully rendered and, and shown and aired, it would have been our absolute Loctite canonical explanation for the dent in Boba Fett's helmet. But in that, you can see that uh, Cad Bane's hat 
His hat has been knocked off, so he's been shot in the head. I don't know about you, but I don't think that 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 uh, that hat is very well armored. So you know, there's every you know chance that had this arc had been completed, that may have actually been the the death of of Cad Bane. But in that same panel, Filoni sort of left it elusive, like, oh, we'll just leave that, we'll leave that kind of open. Yeah, and a year later, he yeah. showed up in graffiti in yeah. Rebels. Sabine Wren was actually drawing him in her sketchbook. Oh, really? And Toto, yeah. I'll have to go yeah. back and look that up. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, fast forward to now, and clearly, you know, that unresolved thing with this arc between Boba and Cad Bane, I don't know if this is a, a, a play to move that arc into this show, but certainly they were not done with this character, and reintroducing him now does give us every possibility that he and Boba will meet again. So again, they they, they may redo the arc uh, in terms of this timeline. That, yeah. that that is entirely possible, or they may take that arc as wrote, maybe, uh, and, maybe. and you know reference it. And like I said, I I, I strongly think that you're probably right that we're going to return to the arc visually. Yeah, but. Uh, to ante it up, just for hope's sake, I was hoping that we'd get a live action Cad Bane, and therefore let's push this duel to to the uh, Book of Boba Fett. I, you but know what? I I, I would be thoroughly satisfied with that as well. I think you might get it. Yeah, you might. But get I don't. I, for the I think we're two batch. episodes out from Boba Fett here. Yes, Tops. you're going to get young Boba Fett here. Sure, but then come Book of Boba Fett, you're going to see the death of Cad Bane. Because he's oh, already yeah, said yeah, in his yeah. interview, we're going to fill in a lot of the backstory. For sure, for sure. And That's to right. fill in that That's backstory, right. you're going to have to, you know, yeah. fill in that portion of how he got that dent. Well, so it's quite possible live action will. We have a legends. We have a legends explanation that says that it was caused by his own blaster deflected by Darth Vader's lightsaber, which is almost, you know, I don't, I don't, I love Boba Fett. I have a I don't hard have a Darth time. Vader T-shirt. But Darth Vader kills Boba Fett. I don't, I honestly, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> I have a hard time with the blast. So here's why I have a hard time with the blaster thing. And it doesn't matter if it's Boba Fett's blaster or Cad Bane's blaster. The Mandalorian has set the live action precedence for how Beskar armor handles blaster fire. And it does not dent. Right. Do you know what I mean? So one, if Boba's helmet gets dented from a blaster bolt, it's not Beskar. And that's, that's entirely plausible because there's another thing going on here. When we talk about helmets, does anybody, you guys remember the helmet bomb? Yeah. So the helmet bomb is a young, young Boba seeking revenge against Mace Windu for the death of his father actually uses the Beskar helmet as a bomb. And uh, so, yeah, there it is. Compl- like half of it's blown right off. You can still see the rangefinder on it, but that we're supposed to believe that's the original Django Fett helmet destroyed. That's right. The attempt on Mace Windu's life was unsuccessful as he made it all the way to uh, Revenge of the Sith. Well, if that's, that's right. the half that got blown off, that's the half that gets the dent, isn't it? No, it's the is other it? half, yeah. Is it? It's yeah. the other half. Yeah, yeah okay. when you're... When and you're... That, that helmet is in possession of the Jedi now. Yeah. Unless he just threw it back there. Who knows? I don't... Yeah. I, I, I think that it's another helmet. I think you might get into the, the fact, like, in the comics and at least the Marvel, the 80s comics... Yep. Um, this was the uniform of a Mandalorian police. That's right. And I think you might find that he's adopted other armors or 
track down other Mandalorians or. Well, I was thinking about this the other day, like that we're supposed to believe that Boba's armor is uh, Django's and like, really go back to the, to attack of the clones and have a look at Django. Like they're different. The, the shin guards are, are pretty much gone. Like Boba has stripped the thighs out of it. Like he's really stripped down. Like, for mobility, the shoulder pauldrons are different. There's they are. a lot of difference. Yeah, for sure there is. Perhaps the chest plate has been repainted, but uh, yeah, know. there's also they they never implicitly say that all Mandalorian armor is Beskar, and which could no, that's true. Why the Clone Wars era Mandalorians were dropping like flies? At least certain. Oh, I know. Yeah, members of them right? <laughs> in the big fight at the Siege of Mandalore, and it's like, oh my god, like a regular blaster is yeah. taking them down, but like. You know, There's also the idea that perhaps they could have tuned their blasters differently. It, and I totally, you know, yeah. Not yeah. being like a, a, a major component, but certainly a character like Cad Bane would have a blaster that could handle Beskar. Uh, the, uh, or the Star Trek setting. The Star Trek, I mean, let's rotate the frequency or the harmonics. Well, he uses the same possibly. pistol in a couple seconds. That's to, right. Uh, well, and you see him. In like, a different he, setting. he does the, it, it looks like he's cocking it, but it, clearly he's changing it to stun setting. Yeah. And if you watch the, the, um, the concept duel between Boba and, and Bane. Boba draws yeah. both weapons. He does, yeah. Boba, Boba actually double draws on him and gets the drop. Double him, pistols, so. which to me look very with the hollow uh, pistol grips, uh, I believe are Django's. Look like Django's, Django's guns. Yeah, yeah. 100% yeah, yeah. they do. All right. So there's your primer on uh, Cad Bane, folks. If you want to get more uh, up to speed with him, seriously, go back. Season four, The Clone Wars. Uh, and if anything else, Check out the episode Crisis on Naboo, where you'll see the sort of culmination of that that story arc. My favorite arc uh, from the Clone Wars with him is the is the cube arc where uh, Obi Wan is uh, disguised as Racco Hardeen and uh, Embo. There, there is it. Embo. I yeah. thought he was Racco Hardeen. I was pretty sure that Obi Wan was face was as, changed and everything. They, was dressed they did as some kind Embo. of face print technology. Was it not Embo? Oh, I'm no, pretty sure it was Racco Hardeen. They 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 even changed his face. This guy, Racco Hardeen. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, maybe that is right. I'm gonna have to go back they, and rewatch that. And he, they changed his voice. He had to swallow some kind of controller, oh, and at one yeah, point yeah, he, yeah, 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 he yeah. coughs up the controller, and his own voice comes out. But right. that's my favorite arc with because they uh, it's Dooku making the the bounty hunters compete. Yep. To see who's yep. going to win the mission to go get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Palpatine. It's awesome. That's an awesome arc. Yeah. All right. So Omega at this point rushes to Hunter's side in a desperate attempt to wake him, but he doesn't budge. And as Cad Bane strides closer, Omega draws her bow, but it's quickly batted out of her hands by Toto. With his with, leg. Yeah, I know. He, with <laughs> like a, a bat. racket. <laughs> I'll beat you with my own leg. <clears throat> with a simple, uh, sorry, little lady, Cad Bane stuns Omega. And once again, after several attempts at, at screen grabbing it, I got it. <laughs> nice. Uh, oh, she looks like she could be in Tron right now. Force ghost. Oh, that too, really. So with the meanwhile, medics tend to crosshair while another shuttle comes in. When one of the soldiers reports that their ground forces have them on the run, the wounded crosshair pulls himself to his feet and orders his troops to get him on the shuttle. Not looking... Uh, even a small bit like Dangar. Uh, so you know what? I I kind of <laughs> like, wrap my head around this, and I'm like crazy. Like Dangar, I had to go look up and make sure that Dangar wasn't ooh, didn't already have an established character arc. That's like kind of the way I went with it too. And then <laughs> yeah. I found myself looking at that, and then I I found myself looking at images of Anakin in the in the medical capsule on Mustafar. Uh-huh. 
And uh-huh. so that's kind of my analogy here is he looks something like a cross between Dengar and a burned Anakin. Yeah. Surprisingly, uh, Hunter is not dead. And as he comes around, we're treated to this next sequence from the perspective from his helmet or what I, what I'm now calling the Hunter cam. <laughs> I feel like this is just for you. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, this is this how, is my how, how you how we came into the series. I feel like this moment is, yep. is for West Arsenal. It's Scott all for me. We just get to sort of enjoy it. <laughs> after I after I bemoaned my my beloved Republic Commando, suddenly yeah. we're in Republic Commando and here we and it's are. Almost, take that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's so good. It's so well done. The the sounds are correct, the visuals are perfect. The 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 movement, the the yeah. way it moves. Yeah, yeah. Perfect, perfect. You know, they just ported it to the PS4, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's dope. Only in the last couple of episodes have I really been triggered to the visuals that, like, I mentioned, I made a reference to the backpacks a couple of weeks ago about how the backpacks right. reminded me of the Republic Commando packs, the big bulky packs. But yeah. have a good look there at, at uh, Wrecker's, Wrecker's his gone. rifle. And, oh, my God, it, it's, it is the rifle from Republic Commando. And, uh, yeah, you know what? I just want to say thank you to... Uh, Filoni and crew over there for uh you know not abandoning Republic Commando and and yeah this is the cherry on top of yeah, the episode it is crazy, crazy really really action. love it yeah because you could have just done this anyway and we would have accepted yep, it it's, I would have yeah that oh so good we can see Echo's helping him do his feet while Wrecker yells what happened where's Omega Echo says uh, he's shot in the chest plate while Tech uh, Blurt said we have to get him on board with the remainder of Clone Force 99 safely on board the Havoc Marauder, they make a hasty retreat under a hail of fire from Crosshair's troops. I tried to get a screenshot of this, and I couldn't get a really good one, but I just want to bring something up here. Remember back when they went after uh, Saw Gerrera back in uh, Episode 2? And the, mm-hmm. elite, the elite troops had now switched to uh, red blaster fire? That's right. All of the reg clones in this episode are still sporting blue blaster bolts. It's true. I like, oh, so it's just the elite troops that only the elite troops have different colored blaster bolts. Hmm. Right. Or so I'm to believe because, I I mean, we didn't see anything red, even though we did see elite troops with him. So at the end of the episode, as the episode close out, they pull uh, Hunter's helmet off and uh, he gasps. He took Omega. Wrecker says, who, Crosshair? And Hunter says, no, a bounty hunter. And his last words as we trail off is, we have to find her. And with that, we get the fade to black and the episode is over. Yeah. And <sighs> so I don't think Hunter's out of the woods yet. Like he took a shot to the chest. So he I don't, did. I mean. Well, he's he's up and giving orders still. I don't. Uh, big I don't time. Know. And there's something important here too. In Him and Crosshair uh, were both wounded. They were. Yep. So this is, this is, this is. Um, in mythology, the hero goes through something crazy traumatic before he tra- transcends to the next level. Yeah, of yeah, hero yeah, for sure. Or villain, and so this, these 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 two events are the moment that the, these guys go from, you know, uh, main characters to the super the uber characters that yeah. that are going to give us the resolution. So I don't think he's out of the woods yet. Um, I don't think so the either. Mission is going to have to be to get him medical help, and is Sid going to do this this time? Yeah, really. Uh, where else? Where are, they are gonna we going to go? Where, Where are, are they going go? to go? Yeah, that is Camino? the, uh, the That's ultimate not question. Safe. So, at the same time, like, but so where here, is safe? Here's here's where I'm at with Rex. this. Well, there is that. You know that whole if you're ever in a bind, you know you know how to find me. 
And they're certainly in a bind. Absolutely they are. They're going to need, you know, some, they're going to need sanctuary somewhere because it's probably too dangerous for them to go back to SIDS. Yeah. I mean, could we get Boba Fett and Ahsoka in the same room? So here's, here's the thing. They, they are going to need medical attention for him. Absolutely. If they don't, I mean, they already made a point about uh, Wrecker wanted a, a, a wrap for his head and Tex like, you use them all. There's nothing left. So if they still haven't, if they haven't resupplied from that mission, they got to go somewhere. Because you figure this is right on the heels of the last episode. Like, they haven't even left. No, they're still on Bracca, right? So if if Omega is now en route back to Camino via Cad Bane, it's not that far of a stretch. And here's where, you know, this is just me, and this is total, like, fanboy. This is me specifically contriving, how can we make this work? Because I want it to. (laughs) Not saying that they will. But it's right. not a it's not a super stretch of the imagination that the Bad Batch will will in turn turn to hiring a bounty hunter of their own because it is uh, too dangerous for them to go to Camino, and that that is the perfect way to reintroduce Boba Fett into the series. No, that's not a bad idea. I think you might find Boba Fett's already on. Like Boba Fett's part of his crew. I think yeah. that you're you're gonna see we're gonna see Cad Bane on the ship. With his little crew, I think you're gonna you're gonna see Bosk. You might see Aura Singh again. Probably see a young Boba. I wouldn't mind that. Crew. We've been to and Corellia. Then I think you'll probably find that maybe Dengar and IG88 are gonna steal Omega. And there's gonna I I don't think that that theme is over yet. I, I don't yeah think. I don't think so either. And there's maybe the, we'll get the dynamic tension right away of why Boba wants to break away. But I think we'll get some of those elements. I think I really with do, the, uh... within two episodes. With the uh, Carillion connection from the earlier episode, there's still that that possibility of, you know, we've got a we've got a teenage, we've got a teenage Kira and Han Solo running around out there somewhere. But we also have, which would mean uh, Woody Harrelson's character, uh, oh, Tobias Beckett. So Tobias Beckett isn't out of the running there either. I mean, he could just just as easily get you know hired to do the job. I love that character. Yeah, I actually too. really love that character. You know, uh, when you I say like the, I, the that. when you say that, you know, it could be this whole because last time we saw Boba Fett, he was uh, training with Aura Singh and Bosk and those other hunters, and we know for we know from Solo that uh, Tobias Beckett is the one who killed Aura Singh. Could we get that in the Bad Batch? Yeah, that's a great little yeah yeah yeah. I didn't really kill her. It was more of the it was more of the fall. <laughs> yeah, I just pushed her. Right, fantastic line, actually. So who knows? But there uh, again, well, this connective tissue. Here's a connective tissue theory for yeah. you. Suppose we do go back to Sid's. Okay. And suppose that maybe Sid is related to Bosk. That's not to give you of. another connection to kind of place all those pieces around a Boba Fett. Not impossible. I mean, if Sid, we already recognize and accept Sid to be a minor crime boss who's retired from active hunting. There's no stretch of the imagination that that he is one of her offspring. Absolutely possible. No, it's true. It's true. And if they need to find their sanctuary, they might go back to Sid just because, hoping that she's not going to sell him out yet. Man, that frenemy thing though is just limited. It's going to come. Safe it's going to come. Place to I can think of except Rex, and it's 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 going to be about the the race to you know how how integral it is to get him like you know they don't have time to go after omega because they gotta they gotta help him so it's gonna be right how gravely wounded is he and that's gonna set our timeline that's gonna limit the choices that they have to make in order to get him help yeah yeah 
alternatively yes um if he's not that gravely wounded like yeah it's a bad shot but right. he'll recover sure it could go back to why they're hanging onto their armor like rex and all of them maybe the armor is like literally holding up and not like the stuff you see in the mandalorian where you know yeah, yeah, yeah. it provides it's no clearly made of plastic yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah this is the original stuff so it's uh it's got well, a little I, bit more staying power we always sort of like especially like for those of us who are steeped in the role-playing game we always saw because there was a numerical value associated with armor we're like oh it does actually do something visually mm-hmm. we're like what it just, other than cover them you know so they're not naked <laughs> What does it is it yeah. a is it a blaster magnet? Because apparently that's what it does in in regular I Star Wars. I feel like Wars. Mando's Beskar is a blaster. Yeah, well, that's magnet. true, big like, time. You know, it's kind of like his kata. He puts himself <laughs> in the way a lot of it. But uh, you know, if if your armor's indestructible, there's another thing though too. Uh, having we just talked about is Mando is Boba's armor Beskar. Yeah. Um, Cobb Vanth takes a shot to the head. Oh, that's true. He does, doesn't he? In the Mandalorian, and just yeah, goes, yeah. Ting. And like it surprises him, right? And then right, he kills right, that right. the the mining guild guy. That's so. Right. I think that's probably canon confirmation that Boba's helmet is Beskar, and whatever sure, dented sure. it is a serious weapon. Well, this is it, right? So you know, uh, a poke from the Beskar spear, maybe. Uh, you know, something that's it's got to have enough. It's got to have enough impact to, uh, and it's not that a blaster bolt couldn't do it, but I mean, it would have to be repeated. Like we saw how much punishment, even, even Din's original chest plate, the one that was burgundy, like it took a beating before it finally failed, Right, you know, and, and he well, said it had to be remade. So it's not like, you know, it wasn't Beskar. It's just Beskar that had been repeatedly stressed over and over and over and over and over. That's also true. That could also be. And you can focus in on that one episode where he's fighting the death trooper and it's just, you know, repeated to the head. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And because he's against the wall, his head is somewhat protected because it's like thing, no recoil. But again, you would need that sort of pressure pushing back to actually dent it. Yeah, something holding up the other side. (laughs) Yeah, because there's going to be fallback if you get hit. Yeah, big time. Unless there's something to catch it and, you know. So we a, a blaster bolt would certainly be fast enough that the velocity, know, yeah, yeah, it wouldn't yeah. be necessarily the recoil required to just you know knock you over. You you yeah. might get hit hard enough, fast enough that it leaves it dead. We've uh, we're leaving Braca. Goodbye, Braca. We loved you. We did not get a a Calcastus appearance. Our, a young Calcastus. Our opportunity did not pay off. No, it did not. Presumably, you know, Calcastus would probably be roughly the same age as uh, Caleb Doom or Kanan Jarrus at yeah. this point. Yeah. Yeah. Now, was it Omega at the beginning that said we should go? No, it was Echo. That it was uh, Echo. yeah, okay. it was Echo because he he talked about Rex warning, warning them about the, scrapper, about the scrapper patrols. Yeah, that the guild right. runs the place. Kind of cool that the Dianoga kept uh, kept them away from that star destroyer from completely gutting it and taking everything out of it. Hmm. And that would have been enough. You know, that ostensibly could have been enough for me. Like you, you do a major callback like that, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. But then you fill it with all kinds of like toys, and and then you 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 make you form an entire episode around like skulking around the Hulk of a of a star destroyer. That's uh, that's pretty satisfying. Pretty awesome. Oh yeah, hell yeah. So this is probably my new favorite. Whatever. <laughs> I know we uh, toss that that term around loosely quite a bit, but like legitimately, like did anybody have any inkling that Cad Bane was going to come back? No. No, no. I, I try to stay far away from that stuff until the episode I, I view it. And Me then too. I might dip dip into social media about it and stuff, but 
I, I'm I've been very disciplined by not like going, ooh, this might happen, or yeah. ooh, that might happen. Not in terms of not wanting to know, you know, and just in case somebody's so close to the mark that it ruins it for me. And I, I'm enjoying I'm I enjoyed the crap, but if I had known that that was gonna happen, there's no way I would have had that. <sighs> You know, I don't even uh, 5.30 in the morning. I get up and I watch the episode. I don't look at social media. And then after I after I finish the episode, is I come down here to the studio and then I watch it again with the descriptive audio and the That's subtitles right. on so I can compose my notes. And even as I'm composing my notes, when I'm doing the research component, you know, and I'm looking up stuff and I'll see headlines for like the episode, I have to go out of my way to like not look at them. Yeah, and it's only after I'm done my notes and like I've locked it in, I'm not changing anything then. And only then will I look at what's anybody else saying about this right now? Yeah. I kind of don't want to be influenced by that. No, like, I don't mind I. you guys or Lauren and stuff. Yeah. But I don't yeah, really yeah. want, I want to have when we, you know, cause if we're just doing somebody else's opinions on this show, then why are we doing it? So it's yeah. nice to, to sort of sequester myself big time. From yeah, that, yeah. And then to, to go, Oh, I was close to this or theory. You're out to lunch this week. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's kind of fun. Well, guys, that's it for, uh, this one. It we've was got, a uh, reunion. We've got, yeah, a reunion and a separation. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. and you got to talk about that title briefly for a sec. It was a reunion, uh, of the bad batch because yep. we got our, 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 our thing, but really it was a, it was a fan reunion. Fan reunion to bring back Cad Bane. How true yeah, is man. that? <laughs> yeah, I've never been so happy to dislike a character in my whole oh, life. Oh, I know. I know. Amazing. What a character. Love that. Uh, shocker. I thought it was great. Uh, glad to see him back, even though, you know, he's not, you know, he's a character you, you know, God, you, good villains. You, you love good villains. I mean, and he is a great villain. So, and this this also just puts me like we're we're still in that wheel. We're still we're in the Filoni verse, and yep. and you know we're gonna get Honda Anaka. We're gonna. I was get, just gonna you know, say that, <laughs> man. You know, I'm still holding out that hey, hey Uncle uh, Uncle Hondo is gonna help you out. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. We're only halfway there. So. That's true. You know, I, another, another Filoni verse character that's, you know, more sort of more important in the Filoni verse than the regular yeah, Star Wars, time. you know, the Lucas verse, if you will, is Darth Maul is out there. Darth Maul formulating is there, his yeah. plans right now. He's just starting to have things coalesce. So there's, there's a couple of characters that, that are fan favorites and, and would be big time that we might see in the next eight. You know, Hondo is, is, is I, I don't want to harp on him, but he's kind of, you know, he's a bit of a lock because we actually know uh, that Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, the theme park, is actually set within the canon as as being a period of time after after The Force Awakens. Rise so he, he yeah. Li- yeah, he's lived through everything. He has. He <laughs> so has. no surprise. They're, starting next year, they're going to be doing, they're going to break it up because they, what they've found is a lot of people are, and I mean, it's probably an immersive, amazing thing. Yeah. A lot of people are like, why don't we have Imperial Stormtroopers? Classic why, Star why Wars. Why is there yeah. a Darth Vader character walking around? And so they're going to start to do uh, like uh, era specific zones so yeah, that you can not? go and, and have. Yeah. So I don't understand yeah. why you wouldn't have done that right off the hop to begin with. Then you can take a tour yeah. through the history of Star Wars. You could have just maximized. As things start to open up. Lauren and I are strongly uh, looking at the. the uh, at going down the, there. Well, no, at the we started with that, and then when I had told her about the the cruise ship, which oh, is completely yeah, yeah, immersive, yeah, yeah. 
and and that you play a character and there's like a role playing element and yeah, you're everybody's yeah. in character the whole time. That's cool. Uh, we both went, uh, yeah, let's put together. 10 oh, grand that's and do that. super, super cool. Yeah. Well, until then, we will continue uh, to live vicariously through things like the Bad Batch. Uh, come back and see us uh, next week when we do it all over again with uh, episode nine that we don't know what that's going to be called yet. But hey, seems like every time I turn around, it's a you know, it's it's go time. So. It won't be long before we're back, guys. Anybody, uh, any more for any more before we wrap it up? That's that's it, baby. That was an awesome one. Yeah, came out of left field, and who knows what else they're going to throw oh, at us. Oh, I know. Uh, I, I can't even imagine where we're going yet, uh, next, other than we got to get her back. So, yeah. Very much looking forward to see how that's going to play out, and uh, hopefully the answer will not be kept from us for too long. That's it for me and for the rest of us here at uh, Fandom Power. Join us next week. Same batch time, same batch channel. Bye for now. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms. Fandom Power is a Sawcast production. Have you ever wanted to start a podcast, but you didn't know where to begin? Maybe you'd like to try podcasting without having to invest in any recording equipment. Do you have an idea for a show, but you're not sure how to develop it? Let Sawcast Productions take care of all of that, so you can focus on what it is you want to say. Sawcast Productions offers podcasting solutions ranging from recording and basic editing, to fully produced episodes complete with all the audio embellishments of a broadcast quality show. When your show is ready... Sawcast Productions can distribute it too. Contact us online today. So, what do you want to say? <laughs>